move too quickly past that moment. I'm going to continue to appreciate what is filling this place today. Seems like somebody knows him. (laughs) Somebody wants us to know him. This doesn't feel like mere routine and ritual this feels like we've come into this house gathered in his name to worship him (laughs) the church is all around the country struggling to grasp for what I believe is shown up here today some hope they get sound doctrine some have it Some hope they get robust, fitting praise and worship through song. Some have it. Some hope that they have caring community and that after all of this is said and done, they'll meet somebody they didn't know and go out to eat with somebody they may not and live life together. Some have it. Few people have all of them. So I just want to let you know that don't miss the opportunity to enjoy if God would allow Cornerstone to be a place where all these things can be found rich community and life together sound doctrine that can grow us up into and conform us to the image of Christ fitting praise and worship through music and everything else that's rare today I hope you believe it it's rare today so I'm just going to ask for the Lord's help to not mess up what's already been going on and then we'll God's word. Father, we just continue in prayer in light of what is taking place. I ask you, Father, that you would be kind to me and empower me with the ability to be in step with what is going on and not out of step with it. Thank you for your people. It's all about your people. Big wig Moses acknowledged that your people had asked for something to eat so he went to you and say your people need something to eat it he did not announce his own personal prerogative to not be concerned with people's appetites he deemed it his duty to facilitate the needs of your people lord god solomon Though given the chance to have the death of his enemies or a long life or riches, he said, I don't ask for any of these. I ask for wisdom, the wisdom to lead a people like yours. He too put, uh, put a pause on his own personal desires for the sake of your people. And Paul, the great apostle, said, I want to be with the Lord Jesus for this is far better. Then looked out at the Philippians and said, but for your joy in your advance in the gospel, I know I will remain here. Father, today, all we're saying is it's about your people. And what we do here is for the glory of Christ and the sake of your people. Now be with us as we look at your word in Jesus name. Amen. Some time ago. Um, when I moved to Wake Forest, one of the most high-profile restaurants in the area is Chick-fil-A. 
So I got a new taste for Chick-fil-A. Marveled at the chicken sandwich. They said they didn't invent chicken, just a chicken sandwich. And uh, so... Um, but in doing that, I was wondering if I could make their chicken sandwich. So I went to a guy who was a higher up in the franchise, and he told me, no, it's actually a special recipe. It's under locked seasonings. It's that critical. I said, man, we need to find a way. You know, the question on the floor is, man, do you know what it takes to make a solid church? What are the ingredients? What's the recipe for making a church that's not only worthy to attend, but worthy to be made uh, known so that people can come and say, hey, I know where God's people are. And the Bible actually provides us with the ingredients, um, the recipe for a sound church. And one of the places where you find that is by listening to what people of God entrusted with the care of the church, what they pray for when it comes to the church. Our sister just did a marvelous job in introducing actually the, the thrust of our message today as she beheld all of the things that the church should be uh, marked by and then said, but this is our prayer. This is not our boast. <laughs> this is our prayer that these things would be true of us. And so I want us to look at a place in Scripture where the prayer of the Apostle Paul actually gives us insight into what God has desired us to be and designed us to be. So turn with me to Colossians. We're going to be in chapter 1. One, and I'm going to just start with three, and I'm going to go down to 14. Because it is Paul talking about his prayer for a church that he didn't plant, but that he had a vested interest in seeing do well. Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to start with three and go to 14. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does, excuse me, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking this, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May the Lord 
use his word to be a blessing to us. I want to just talk briefly about a prayer uh, that every church needs, a prayer that every church needs. As I came here, all I could think about is your undersound teaching. Uh, so what could I add to the mix? And there's something you can never go wrong with. And that is looking at the Bible and seeing what does God pray that his church will be. Uh, and so we want to just look at two things primarily, the basis of Paul's prayer and the content of Paul's prayer. We want to look at what drove Paul to pray for them and then look at what he prayed when he began to pray for them. And we're just going to walk through it. It's more than I have time to fully mind, but follow me and just see the types of things that God desires Cornerstone to be because this indeed is a prayer that every church needs. So let's start with three. First of all, just know this. He begins in terms of the basis of prayer by basically saying that I've been praying. I was motivated to pray because of the evidence of God's grace and the impact of God's gospel. The evidence of God's grace and the impact of God's gospel. You see this in three to eight. Let's look. Verse three says, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray, since we heard of Your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So in other words, what he says is I'm praying a prayer for people who are already Christian. Now, again, if you're not a Christian in here, we're so glad you're here today. Uh, We're glad that you're in our midst. Uh, This is a window into how God prays once you are part of his family. There's another prayer that we pray for people who are not yet a part of the family. And that prayer is that you would become part of his family. The Bible would say that you would become a citizen of his kingdom. You're going to see that he transferred us from one kingdom to another kingdom and the invitation is extended to you. Be a part of God's kingdom. But this is in light of what he's already seen that God has done, he's motivated to pray. And so he says, ever since we heard you actually have faith in Christ, ever since we heard you actually love all the saints, ever since we heard that you are driven by the hope that all believers have, we've been praying for you. They had three things that are the essential building blocks of the Christian. They had faith in Christ, love for all the saints, and a hope that's rooted in the gospel. You see this throughout Paul's uh, writings. First Thessalonians 1.3 says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and the steadfastness of hope. In other words, this is basic Christianity that he sees, and he said it before. Ephesians is similar. He says, We've been praying for you because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Later on, he says, and I'm praying that your eyes would be open so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. This is how you talk about Christians. You talk about Christians as people who've been brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. They then have this faith in him. They then have this love for each other. And then they have it because of a hope that they have. And he says, this has motivated me to pray for you, much like my son who now works at Chick-fil-A, since we're on the theme of Chick-fil-A today, and uh, they made him cut the three whiskers that's coming out of his chin. The first sign of manhood was the three, I mean, before he even had the dirt around his top lip, he had the three strands coming out of his chin. They said, cut it. I had to give him a pep talk so he wouldn't be disappointed. I said, don't worry, if you cut it, it'll only grow thicker. 
that's sort of what this is saying. It's saying, well, if we see faith, if we see love, if we see hope, pray, it can only increase. And this is what the church is supposed to be marked by. And when you see it, you pray all the more. If you watch the show uh, Shark Tank, one of the things they want to know is how many you've already sold before we douse you with more money so that we may sell more. That's what he says. Now that we've already seen the evidences of these things, we pray that we may see them all the more. This drives us to pray for you. Faith in Christ. Some believe that this is faith placed in Christ, which is true of all believers. You start by placing faith in Christ, proverbial, at the altar. You come up and you believe in Christ. More than likely, that's not what this is. This is the faith you have once you're in Christ. This is now that we know that you actually take the faith seriously to go beyond the altar, you know one day you're going to what we call the Bema. The Bema is where you will stand before God and give an account, and he will reward your faithfulness in Christ. This is a, you would have to know the original language, but the idea here is this is not the faith you place in Christ moment, like at the front end. This is the faith that you display in Christ once you're in him. And so he says, now that we know you take the faith seriously, he says, we've been praying that you would do it all the more. Faith in Christ. But not only that, he says, love for all the saints. Another thing that's true about Christians is they don't just love saints. They love all the saints. It's easy to love saints that are lovable. It's easy to love saints that look like they can benefit you. It's easy to love saints that you know well. What's hard is for you to know someone. The only thing we have in common is that you are in him and I am in him. And all of a sudden, there's a love for one another that you can't even explain. Black people in particular, we have a similar dynamic with us. You know, if you've ever been in a like predominantly white context, let's say university or college or something, and uh, you know, you just like, I feel alone here, but then you see that one chocolate face in the distance, and so all of a sudden, you love them. You don't even know them. You're like, <laughs> and you hope they, you know, love you the same, you know. Every now and then, you'll get that one person who, though they're black and you're black, they don't seem to dig you like that. <laughs> you like. He says, that's how it is with Christians. Christians live as what Peter calls elect aliens. And yet when you see a Christian and you know that this Christian, there's a love that you can't explain. But it's what God does to his people. He gives them a love, not just for the good saints, but for all the saints. And the reason why you know this is a, is a struggle. It's not just automatic. We need to be reminded that the Christian is to love other Christians regardless of what side of the tracks, regardless of what economic status, regardless of what uh, ethnic background, because that's just what it means to be Christian. And you see it. James, which is the first New Testament writing that we have, is a, the classic verse uh, about being uh, not partial not seeing somebody who comes to the door that looks like something it says a man comes in got a gold ring got nice clothes and you bring him up to the front he says another person comes in with shabby clothes as though it were and you say sit over there or sit at my feet he says that is evil it's unchristian for you to judge whether or not you're going to love a christian based on their externals because christians don't do that if they're led by the spirit, you see it also with Peter. Peter changed who he was sleep, uh, um, who he was sitting at the table with. Peter would change who he's sitting at the table with based on who was coming into the room. He says, I love these Gentile Christians when there are no Judaizers around. But when the Judaizers come, I switch it up. 
So uh, I just want to say, this is what we, uh, he says, this is what has already been evident among you, and that's why we pray. We pray because we see a faithfulness in Christ. We see a love for not just the good saints, but all saints. And then he says, all of this is rooted in the fact that you have the hope that all believers have. It's a theological hope. It's a gospel-rooted hope. Look at verse 4. Since we heard of your faith, since we heard of your love, because of the hope laid up for you. He says that you believe like you believe. You live like you live. And you love like you love. Because you hope like you hope. Now Christians don't talk about hope like we wish with our fingers crossed. The hope of the scriptures is a confidence about what's ahead of you that motivates you right now. It's, 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 a, it's a confidence that you get infused with that at the end of all of this, it's going to pay off. So it makes you do something different right now. And so one day I was preparing myself to go somewhere. I was supposed to speak. And so I was in the car, but I was under the E. I mean, my, it was literally under the E. Now, you know how you know, you, you know your car. So you kind of know I'm on E, but I'm not on E, right? So, and then it goes under. You're like, yeah, but I mean, I'm still all right. Uh, well, I was on one of those North Carolina roads where it was like, uh-oh, okay. So I said, well, that's all right. I'll go the next gas station. So I'm looking for gas stations, but I hit a stretch where there were no gas stations. I was like, oh, snap. So eventually I began to panic. But what happened is my hope slipped away. My activity, my present activity changed. I cut the music off. I didn't want to hear any music. I was like, I'm sitting up here like looking. I got a text. What's your ETA? I pressed ignored. I didn't, I didn't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what my ETA is based on what's going on right now. Uh, uh, and I had to use the bathroom too. So I was like, man, but don't get off until you see a gas station. You might not make it back on. I mean, all kinds of stuff was affected by this lack of a confidence that there was any gas ahead. I even slowed down to 45 because they said, you know, don't, don't gun it. You know, if you want to save gas, don't speed. Um, but then I see 0.2 miles. There's a gas station. Now, just the notion that there was gas ahead made me turn back on the music. <laughs> Text them and say about 1015. Sped back up as somebody tried to go around me. <laughs> He says, see, you were infused with something that changed what you were doing at the moment. He says, that's what Christians do. There's something that's coming. We don't know when it's coming. And the Bible would say, don't promise people it's coming even in this life. There are many things that the Bible says at the revelation of the Lord Jesus. But that's enough to change what you do Monday through Sunday. That's Christian hope. And so he says, you have been changed. It has produced faithfulness and love for all the saints. And ever since we peeped that, he says, we've been praying like coals that are smoldering that just needs a little more incentive. Uh, he says, we've placed more prayer. We've doused it with more prayer because we want to see what's already clear to be increasingly and continuously clear. What does God want from you? Yeah, he wants faithfulness. What does God want from us? He wants love, indiscriminate love. 
And he says, and to motivate you to do that, I want to keep talking to you about a hope that is yours. And this is a theological hope. It's the kind of hope that secures you. It's the kind of hope that is secure. You can't even mess it up. Because look at verse 5. It says a hope that he says is laid up for you in heaven. Hope theologically is so secure. It's God promising you that what I'm going to use to motivate you is so sure that it's as though it was in the vault of heaven and no one can break in and take it. That's why the Bible says, don't work for things where thieves and moth and rust, you know, can get to it. It says what? But you want to hope in that which your father has. My daughter When she got her first job, she took this thing seriously. She learned that if it depended on her, she would blow her cash. So one day she said, hey, can you take me to the bank? I was like, okay, what are we doing? She said, yeah, I want to deposit this $6. I was like, $6? She said, said, yeah, because if not, I'll spend it. She learned something. She learned that $6 in her hand is not as secure as $6 in the bank. The Bible says he, God wants to let you know that your greatest hope is not in that which depends on you. Your greatest hope is that which depends on him. Now again, this is Christian hope. This is the difference. All we're saying is, do you specialize in those promises that don't depend on you or your friend or your pastor or your, but it depends on God. This is why it's, it's good to believe in a salvation you didn't earn, a salvation that you don't keep because that's a hope that depends on you. This is why the true Christian believes in that which God has secured for himself, even your very self. And so it's this hope that changes how you think about everything. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, great man of faith, once said, the man who comes to a right belief about God is relieved of 10,000 temporal problems for he sees at once that these have to do with matters that at the most cannot concern him for very long. But even if the multiple burdens of time may be lifted from him, the one mighty single burden of eternity begins to press down upon him with a weight more crushing than all of the woes of the world piled one upon another. That mighty burden is his obligation to God. And that's what we're talking about, a hope. He says, the gospel can lift this destroying burden from the mind, give beauty for ashes, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Again, it's easy to sort of just take this for granted and skip to your loo. But it's another thing for you to understand that this is a constant Christian reminder. Paul is praying it for a church. He's praying and saying, I see that you all have the Christian evidences of grace. He says, it's the faith in Christ. It's the love for any saint, regardless of their status or how they do you. And it's the hope that's predicated on the gospel, a gospel hope. And so the gospel hope lifts burdens and it changes behavior. And so that's what he's going to end up praying about. He's going to say, once that's there, we're going to pray that that remains. And then we're going to move from there to talk about how a person gets this hope and what will fuel them to live their lives in light of this hope. So he calls this hope the hope that is rooted in the gospel, the word of truth. So look at five of this hope you have heard before in the word of truth The gospel of this uh, gospel, verse six, which has come to you 
as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So he not only prays in light of the evidences of grace, he Praise in light of the impact of the gospel. In other words, what he says is, now, everything I'm talking about only happened when the gospel came to you and you latched on to it. There are people who do not want the gospel, but they want all the benefits that only come with the gospel. The problem is, the Bible says, no, you don't get it like that. These things I'm going to talk about, summed up in the hope that is reserved for you, These things only come to you in the gospel, and then he starts talking about this wonderful thing called gospel. So can we talk about the gospel just for for a moment? First of all, the gospel is an act. Now, again, it's before the first one comes up. I didn't even put this. I have six that are going to pop up here that he talks about the gospel. But implied is the act. The gospel before it's our message is God's action. The gospel is what he did. In giving us his son, because if he didn't do that, everything else that follows would be irrelevant. On my way here, the Uber driver was a Muslim. So we began to talk about our similarities. And so I was asking him what the solution is to all the mess. And uh, so he didn't have a solution. Uh, He did say he wished Israel would get their act together. He was from Palestine. And then he said, I'm Muslim. And he's saying, we believe in Jesus. People don't know that we don't believe in Jesus. See, but you believe that he's son of God and you believe that he died. And you, he began to talk about all the things that the Christian believes. By the time he finished, all I could think of, and I'm saying, so you don't believe he died, right? He said, no, we don't believe he died. Uh, well, that means that you don't have good news because there's no good news in the fact that God sent a prophet. And he says he sent another one, Muhammad, who came with more stuff after Jesus. He says he was a great man. He did miracles, but there's no good news because if Jesus didn't die, we're still in our sins. That's the Bible says. If he didn't die and get up, we're still in our sins. So what's the good news? He says this is the good news. First of all, it's that God didn't save Jesus from the cross. It's that God saves us by keeping Jesus on the cross. This is the what we call the foolishness of the gospel. People don't believe that Jesus had to die in order that you and I would not. That is the good news. And again, though it may sound like religious to say, no, God kept him from dying. That's what he said. He says, as they turned him over, God raised him out so that he would not die on the cross. I'm saying that sounds nice. But that is not good. Even as the Old Testament foreshadowed this through the sheep, for a sheep to not die meant you would die. When there was no blood on the doorpost, if you, if you know the story of the Exodus, he says the way the angel won't kill your firstborn is that you offer up something in its place. The Bible says that he offered up Jesus Christ in place of us. And so that's good news. So the gospel first is an act of God. But then he calls, he says, okay, so assuming that foundation, let's go on. It also then becomes the message to be believed. So that means that we must trust it. The church must trust it. 
all must trust it. The gospel is a message to be believed. So he says, of this you heard before in the word, in the Bible, word of something, the word of the cross, the word of Christ, the word of God is the message, the message concerning him. It is a message. It's a message that is true. So you must believe it. It is, he calls it the gospel. That's what the gospel is. It's a message you've got to believe. You can't just admire the gospel. You can't just be able to recite the gospel. You must believe it. When people quiz you, you must say, I'm trusting in the good news. I'm trusting what God has done, not in what I can do. He says, you, you heard this in a message that is true. You must believe it. Not only that, it's God's agenda. So we must advance it. It must be on the move. The gospel can't stay bundled up in your heart, cherished, put on plaques and framed and put in your house it must be advanced because it's an agenda so look verse six he says this gospel this word of truth has come to you as indeed in the whole world and it is bearing fruit and increasing so i'm married to michelle branch i tell everybody i got a dime piece both physically and spiritually now how did this happen (laughs) well if you trace it back her mom Now, her mom raised two godly daughters. If you trace it back, she says, you have to go back to Maine when I was a Black Panther and down with Malcolm X. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I wasn't looking for the church. But she says, in her words, a white lady shared Christ with me. So in other words, she wasn't looking for the gospel. She wasn't looking for hope. She wasn't looking for all of these things. But the gospel came to her. It turned her life around. She didn't get saved at that moment. She went to Philadelphia and then her sister who had gotten saved while she was in Maine came to her with the gospel. Either way you look at it, she does not take credit for the transformation that resulted in the transformation of Missy that resulted in me being a content husband because the gospel came to her. He says, as it does in the whole world. So the gospel that came to her in Philly also came to her in Maine. The gospel that came to her is also the gospel that came to me. The gospel that came to me is the same gospel that apparently has come to you. And if you're not saved in here today, that's the gospel we're telling you about today. So that it comes to you, even though you came to church, the gospel comes to you. He says, it is to be advanced Because as the gospel continues from place to place, it affects people, which is why he says it is bearing fruit and increasing. So the gospel is a seed to be sown, a seed to be sown. Sling it, sling it. We have one imperative. We have one imperative to sow the seed and go to sleep in the words of John MacArthur. He says it. I've been using it ever since because people try to help the gospel. We think the gospel needs our help. It needs our creativity. Me and Pastor Mo was talking earlier. We think it needs our methods. It needs our methodology. It needs your creativeness. And he says, no, 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 no. The gospel needs what he says. It comes to you as you just Bring it. I say sling it. The Bible likens it to a seed because the life is in it in and of itself. You don't plant a seed, then dig it up every day and say, how's it going down there? (laughs) You sow the seed, you go to sleep, and how it grows, you don't know. You just know that that's why the Bible calls the word of God the seed that the sower sows. And it bears its own fruit. The fruit is the church that's built upon it built upon it here's a plug 
Here's a plug. All platforms are not equal. So there's the platform. We live in an era of platforms. One of the reasons why I think rap is a perfect tool for explicit gospel proclamation. It is not the only means of uh, gospel proclamation is not the only means for rap. But one of the things that makes it good is because the platform allows you to broad sell. And that's what in Jesus's parable. That's what happened. The message goes forth. A bunch of messages go forth from a rap platform. Only one can give life. And so, again, you can do a lot of things with the platform. Only one will produce what he's saying, fruit and increase. And that is the gospel, which he called the word of truth, which comes to you. Uh, anyway, in other words, it's a sow, uh, seed to be sown. It's powerful. It does all the work on its own. This is why the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon said, if you, the gospel is like a lion in a cage, nobody has to guard it. <clears throat> Just open the cage and stand back and let the lion do the rest. This is what James says in James chapter 1, 18. It says, of his own will, he brought us forth by his word. In other words, it takes you back to Genesis and say the same way the world was brought forth by just the declaration of God's word. That's what happens to people like you and me. God just uses somebody who opens their mouth with the gospel. And it seems like it wouldn't work. But for some reason, we end up saved and we say, I don't even understand how this happened because there's nothing special about that message. But yet he says, that's how you got hope. That's how you started loving like you love. That's how you started being faithful. It all started when you heard this word of truth. Uh, well, the gospel is news. It's to be heard. That means you do want to come to church and you want to hear the gospel. You don't want to hear it like when I was in college, somebody gave me the gospel. And ever since you've been giving me practical stuff, that's what I need, the practical stuff. No. The Bible says that you're made by the gospel and you're maintained by the gospel. Jesus said from Genesis, the revelation is all speaking about me. And the central theme of Jesus is the gospel. The gospel is a truth to be explained. So unpack it, unpack it, unpack it. So I was witnessing with this guy who was upset that I like to take the scenic route when it comes to the gospel. I don't like to just say Jesus loves you, and that's it. I like to explain. Now, let me tell you how this lo what this love looks like, and let me tell you how he demonstrates his love. Uh, well, one day we were out witnessing, and I started talking to this guy about a courtroom scene. So, again, the dude looked like he was familiar with the penal system. I'm not dissing him, but I'm just saying, hey, you know. I said, hey, you. <laughs> I said, I mean, you know about court, right? He said, yeah. I said, have you ever heard, like, you know, you know about the judge? The judge has the ability to say. So I went through all of this. My man, brought, brought, the guy I was with, he pulled me to the side. He said, see, that's why I don't like you. <laughs> they don't need all of that. They just need to know that Jesus loves them. And we never went out on the street again together. But then I look at this passage. <laughs> but, but, but then I look at this passage and look what Paul says. Look at verse 6 again. All of this that I've been saying happened since the day you heard it and understood it. You remember the Ethiopian eunuch? He says, I'm reading Isaiah. 
I got the data. But how will I understand what they're talking about unless someone explain it? He says, since you understood the grace of God in truth, but look, look at, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Who are the faithful ministers? The people who start with the gospel and then go on to something else? No. The one who stay and keeps it in your system because that's the only way you learn it. And so all of this is just why he prays, because this is true of you. And so today, this is what we say. We basically say that the gospel must be the centerpiece of cornerstone. It must be what starts this thing and what continues this thing. This is just in his prayer. He hasn't even talked about what I'm praying for. This is just what motivates me to pray, to make sure that this foundation is uh, secure. David Wells says something interesting just about this idea of giving people more than just a couple cliches. He says, basically, how much knowledge is necessary for genuine conversion? We need as much knowledge as will bring us to an awareness of ourselves as sinners, enough knowledge to know what is asked of us as we believe the gospel and what will be required of us after we believe it. Remember we were talking about faith and then faithfulness. That's what he's praying. I've seen faithfulness. That means that somebody told you that it's not easy to be faithful. It's easy to come up and respond to a praise and worship person that's bringing you to the front. It's not easy to endure, which is he's going to pray for later. He says the gospel is core. Uh, so he says the convert, excuse me, let me go back. I got ahead of myself. He says the convert comes into faith responsibly and the evangelist can be confident that the gospel has not been offered under false pretenses in other words give them the gospel and then teach them the gospel explain the gospel he calls it the message he calls it grace the grace of God ever since you understood the grace of God and truth and that's because you're not teaching the gospel if you're only teaching people the do's and don'ts of the faith but not the goodness of God to empower you to keep the do's and the don'ts of the faith grace that which came down when Jesus in John's gospel in the beginning, it says of his fullness, we have received one grace instead of the old grace. In other words, the first grace was the law. He says grace. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. In other words, Moses gave us an awareness of the fact that we can't keep it. Jesus came and said, I bring the good news that God keeps it for you and then empowers you. To live it out. That's grace. The goodness that came down. And so. The basis of his prayer is that you are Christians. You're the real thing. You have the faith in Christ. You have love for all the saints. You have the hope. And this hope is the hope that you get when you get the gospel right. This gospel is that which God has done. This gospel is that which has been proclaimed. It comes to you. This gospel advances. It moves into different areas and makes the same impact. Fruit. This gospel is what you hear. This gospel is what somebody preaches. It gets explained and unpacked. This gospel is grace. It can only be received. It can't be worked. And now he ends it with, and so... Let me tell you what I pray for then, the content of my prayer with the remaining time that I have. The content of his prayer is for basically two things, Christian growth 
in God-centered gratitude. In a nutshell, he prays that they would grow, that they wouldn't get stagnant, that they wouldn't always talk about their Christianity in the past tense. Because when I was first saved, I used to, because when I believed, you should have seen it. Because when I was at that other church, I used to, because when I, that's, some Christians are always living in the past. But he prays that this will continue. The continuous tense is all the way through. Everything is continuous tense. You may be filled. That's in the continuous tense, verse 9. So as to walk in a manner, continuous tense, verse 10. That you may be strengthened with all power for all endurance and patience, continuous tense. He's praying for continued Christianity to show up in your life. And so Cornerstone, we don't want you to just go on uh, remote uh, autopilot. We want you to continue to grind. Paul called it pressing forgetting what's behind and straining toward what's ahead, straining for what Christ has taken hold of you for. So look what he says. Let's just unpack it a little bit. First of all, their continued growth. He prays that they would grow in terms of their biblical thinking. Verse 9. So from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you as with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, that you'd be full of the word. Some people know some word. Some people can pull their Bibles out and you can find some word. Other people are filled with the word, filled with the knowledge of his will. Jeremiah says, don't boast that you have anything. Boast that you understand God. Boast that you know his word. You know the story? Go back to the Exodus. After the unique deliverance, what's the first thing he did? Took them to a mountain and what did he give them? His law. Because God has a people, but people don't just come knowing how to think like God. Therefore, they don't come knowing how to live like God. There's a lot of things we do because it's cultural. We do it because we've seen people do it. He says, no, Christians submit their cultural understandings to biblical understandings, which is why you come to church, which is why you do more than just come to church. It's why you open your Bible. You have Bible studies. You download the podcast. You get a, a, a dictionary. You get a, 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 a commentary. You look, you say, I want to just, I don't want to just know God experientially and emotionally. I want to understand his will. And so he says, I pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. His will is in his word. He says, not only that, that you would do it with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is the application of the knowledge that you have. So this is the person who says, I not only know the word, but I know how it shows up in various scenarios. That's what Proverbs is. It's the wisdom of God. How does God, God's word work? What has God said? Now, how does that look? Because I'm just an uh, elementary school teacher. I'm just a plumber. I'm just a mechanic. I'm just a rapper. I'm just a guitarist. I'm a pianist. I'm just a mom. I'm just a dad. He says, whatever scenario, if you know how God thinks and you know what it looks like showing up in various scenarios, then you're displaying that you not only have knowledge of his will, you have spiritual wisdom and understanding understanding reason why I went to Bible college before I knew what I wanted to do with my life was so I would at least know his will and then it took me 10 years to graduate and I think it's because I would have graduated with knowledge of his will but no practice in executing it so God allowed me to not be able to graduate for 10 years by the time I got my bachelor's I was a different person 
now the knowledge could actually be put to use. He says, and if you know, if you think like God, that's the only way you can live like him. And so he says, get this knowledge, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Some people, they talk a good game, but when you look at their lives, they make it hard for you to buy into what they're saying. You ever go to the gym and some of the personal trainers there look like they need a personal trainer? So, I mean, you, you're staring at their gut like, hmm, okay. And so what you want to do is you want to make sure you tuck because the abs, you're like, hmm. Thanks. He says there's a way to live a life that's worthy. So, in other words, your life is worthy of your lips. He says this is the way to bear fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. It's, a, it's, it's how we live that substantiates that what we're saying is having an impact on us first. Again, what we're just talking about is why he prayed this. Again, this sounds like, this is, so I teach New Testament. This is the chapter we breeze past. We want to get to the verse 15, and he is the image of the invisible God. Yeah, let's talk about these lofty things. He started by just thanking God that they, and praying for them, that they would have these foundations in the continuous tense. Again, it may not be as juicy as something that's a little more practical, but it's the right understanding that fuels the right belief, that fuels the right actions, worthy. He goes on and says, not only that, I need you to do this over the course of the long haul. So he prays that they would not only have a worthy walk, but he prays that they would endure with patience and with joy. So look what he says, verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Someone has said endurance is the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. And patience is the capacity to endure up under difficult people. So I was, I was with another pastor yesterday. And all he began to tell me was all the war stories of people who went through his program, people who had been through his church, and how many of them have AWOLed since. I've heard basically in the last two days war stories that I need both hands in order to count. And these are people, they said, but well, we thought he was a pastor. And, you know, mothers with single, you know, now single mothers. And uh, he said, but... And that's because people start, but they don't always endure. Enduring doesn't mean that you don't have a bad day. It doesn't mean that you don't fall down. Enduring means that when you get up, you're still what Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. There are people who get up and they give up. And other people get up and they continue. He says, may you be strengthened. The fact that he has to pray that you be strengthened means we don't have the capacity to stay enduring when you go through that really hard circumstance. Even in here, you know some people who've been through something, something they didn't know. I didn't know I was going to continue after this. And then some people, have. it's the people that get on your nerves. Can you continue loving all the saints when you're done wrong? Ah. All I'm saying is Paul says, I pray because I know I'm talking to Christians. Faith in Christ, love for all the saints, rooted in a hope 
This hope is in the gospel. This gospel is what's been working on you because you understood it. Somebody unpacked it, shared it, and it's bearing fruit in your life. And ever since we heard that, we haven't ceased to pray that you would keep growing, keep displaying what God has already done. Because some people give up and give out. And then the last thing he says is that you would continue to do all of this with gratitude. Not just gratitude, but God-centered gratitude. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, thankfulness is rare, especially in Christians. Now, most people will thank God when something good goes their way. We know how to wave. I'm giving you a promotion. But God-centered thankfulness thanks God because his will is happening even if it inconveniences us. This is what Paul does when he says, my chains have caused other people. He was in prison. When he wrote Colossians, he was in prison. He says, my chains are causing people to be more bold about the gospel. Therefore, I rejoice. What? How do you rejoice when you're in prison? He says, because other people are now more emboldened about it. God-centered gratitude is that gratitude you give to God because his will is done, even when yours is not. He says, so let me give you some things as we end to be thankful for to God. First of all, he gets all the credit and he gets all the glory because he has qualified you. It says here, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Just recently, as you know, they finally whittled down at least 45 people who wanted to inherit Prince. You know, the artist known as Prince and formerly known as Prince. His estate says more than 45 people came forward (laughs) claiming to be his wife, children, siblings or other relatives. Some included a Colorado prison inmate who said he was Prince's son. (laughs) He was ruled out through DNA. (laughs) Others such as a woman and a girl who claimed to be his niece and grandniece. Their claims were rejected as a matter of law. Everybody would like to be qualified if there is inheritance to be had. He says, God had to qualify you. There's an inheritance, but you can't qualify yourself. He has qualified us. So he says, give thanks to the father because he has qualified you to enjoy the inheritance. Says he delivered us. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. You remember when weed had you? Some of you are like, well, it still does. Well, you remember when some other substance had you? Remember when the night scene had you? Remember when you couldn't say no? At least now you say no three days a week. He delivered us. Remember when your crew was the dark crew? Remember when nighttime was the right time? He says he delivered us from orientations of darkness. Again, some of us need to remember where we were. And every now and then God will give you a relapse just so you'll know. The only reason why you're not what you used to be is because he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. What did he do with you? He transferred you. So look, 
He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Think about the refugee crisis, babies washing up on the shore because people will do anything to get from one kingdom to another kingdom if they think the other kingdom is better than the kingdom that they're in. He says, that's Satan. He says, he delivered you from darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. You want to be a part of this kingdom. And in the close, most of our songs today that we sing were based on this climax right here, verse 14. And he redeemed us. He redeemed us. It says, through him you have redemption. That is the forgiveness of sins. The great Puritan writer Thomas Watson said, great was the work of creation. Greater was the work of redemption. It cost more to redeem us than to make us. In one, there was but the speaking of a word. In the other was the shedding of blood. This is where my Muslim friend was off. He had no redeemer who shed his blood. And today he says, there was one who gives forgiveness of sins and he couldn't have done it without the shedding of blood. And so, Cornerstone, here's the prayer for you. It's the prayer every church needs. It's the prayer that acknowledges that a work of grace has already come. And it's prayer for a continued growing in that grace. We're praying that you would grow biblically. That you would come to church not for the feel-good aspect only, but for the doctrine, the teaching, the knowledge, and that being filled with the knowledge of his will, you will put it to use and not just get excited and have a Bible full of notes, but you will know how it shows up when you walk on that job and tomorrow, when you go in that school. And we're praying that you will not only be filled with the knowledge of his will, but that you will do that and walk that thing out. And you'll do it enduring the ups and the downs that are bound to come with endurance and patience. And you'll do it with a heart of gratitude because he's done a lot for you. None of none the least. He forgave you of your sins. Some people believe that this is not good news. This is like. uh, But it's what Paul prayed for a church he didn't plant. And so if the apostle would pray it for that church, we're praying it for this church. If you're not a believer in here, all, of the, all that's being said is just to let you know that there is a kingdom and a coming king. He came once, he's coming again. But even now, you can pledge your allegiance to him. You need your sins forgiven, whether you realize it or not. And so may the beauty of this God who gave his son to bring people into his kingdom. May that do something and bear fruit in your life today. Amen? Let's pray. Father, what is there? What is there that's greater than the notion, greater than the fact, greater than the reality, that you're already at work in us. And yet that doesn't make us 
take our foot off the gas. We've been encouraged to by prayer become even more of what you've already produced. Not by our strength, but just being strengthened. Would you take Cornerstone from glory to glory? And if there's anyone in here that is not in Christ, would you through the people of God adorning the doctrine of God show people that this truly is a life and Jesus is better than life, but the life that he gives us is a reflection of that better life. Thank you for the church here from the leadership to the member who would be perceived to be the least. Would you shine and be glorified and use us till our king comes and finishes the good work that he began? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.